In the coffee shop with me today is guitarist, composer, and a lot more, Ryan Marr. I'm Tom D'Antoni, and the coffee shop, as usual, is World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason in Portland. Ryan has just gotten back from New York City, and I'll be asking what he, about what he did there. He's working on a new album. He's one of the leaders of the Portland Jazz Composers Ensemble, as well as its labeled PJCE Records. He's one of the founders of the Montevilla Jazz Festival, and he recently was named editor of Jazz Society of Oregon's Jazz Scene Magazine. Although over the years our conversations always turned to baseball, he's a Giants fan, I'm going to try to keep this one on music. I don't think I'll be completely successful, but I'll try. Let's talk with Ryan Marr, shall we? Welcome to the cupping room. <laughs> Thanks for having me. It's where we are here at World Cup Coffee and Tea. Um, you just got, how, wh when did you get back from New York? Monday night. Wow. Yeah, hit yeah. the ground running. Jeez. What were you there for? I went to go to the Jazz Connect Conference, mm -hmm. and I also went to the NYC Winter Jazz Festival. What's, what is the Jazz Connect Conference? Jazz Connect Conference is kind of an industry conference. Um, mm -hmm. you, you see lots of different types of people there. Jazz Times puts it on, mm -hmm. and um, they have a bunch of breakout sessions. Um, and there are people there, that radio publicists, there are... Was El Chapo there? El Chapo <laughs> is not there, nor was Sean Penn. <laughs> Topical. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, there's a lot of great people. Um, I ended up spending a lot of time with Origin Records people, Matt mm -hmm. Jorgensen, John mm -hmm. Bishop, and, um, yeah. You could have done that here. I know. <laughs> we went all the way to New York to do it. <laughs> oh, what goes on at that thing? It, there's a lot of just, like, talking with other people, and then the breakout sessions are uh, sometimes quite informative. Uh, I went to this one session that was led by Matt Merowitz mm -hmm. and Matt Jurassic. I'm hoping I'm saying his name right, from um, DL Media. That's Jurassic. And then mm -hmm. Merowitz is from... Fully Altered. Fully Altered Media, yeah. And uh, there were two other people on that panel, and they were talking about social media and how to get the most of it, whether you're a promoter or an artist. It was mostly for artists, I think, that one. Um, I learned a lot there. Um, and then there was one on education that I went to. John Clayton was part of that, mm -hmm. and then some other people. Um, sometimes... John Clayton, the musician, not John Clayton, the NFL reporter. No, not the NFL okay. reporter. <laughs> Man, I love those commercials for them. That's yeah. so funny. Um, yeah, sometimes the sessions, they, they kind of start repeating themselves a little mm -hmm. bit. And, um, yeah, I don't want to <laughs> go into it too much, but some people... Well, I liked, like, Dave Douglas... Mm -hmm. uh, had some really great things to say and it was like a sensitive topic I forget what it was right now f for jazz musicians but he actually showed optimism and he, he uh. like used that phrase jazz musicians showing optimism yeah, I thought I've that never heard of such a thing <laughs> exactly that's why I liked it it was like actually you know that's probably what we should be doing because Dave Douglas knows what he's doing so yeah. Um, yeah it was oh it was about uh, record labels and like why do we need CDs and that mm -hmm. kind of thing and mm -hmm. it was it was an interesting discussion what was the conclusion do we need CDs? Kind of. Yeah, we kind of do. Um, because jazz is slow to change, which is weird, right? Jazz has always been at the forefront <laughs> of change. 
but there are so many, and I'm experiencing this now as director of the PJCE record label, um, that you need physical as CDs. As Portland Jazz Composers Portland Jazz ensemble. Composers Ensemble. Yes. The record label is PJCE Records, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, the, if I want to get records reviewed that are mm-hmm. on my label, I need to send it to people, and they want physical copies. Right. Which is, I, that's fine, I guess. I mean, I like CDs, too, mm-hmm. um, and now I'm, like, reviewing CDs and stuff. And yeah. it's like, yeah, I like to have the physical copy, but digital is fine, too. And I don't know. It was an interesting conversation that we had. Yeah. 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 There's something special about getting a CD in the mail. I like it. You know, I was, I was just talking to I went to see Patti Smith okay. uh, a couple of weeks ago, and she did the entire Horses album. Wow. Front to back at the Schnitz. Incredible! Wow, right? but I'm I'm sitting there and I'm thinking I remember the day because I used to I used to get all the I used to get albums every mm-hmm. day every day LPs yeah. right I remember the day came how, and how the feeling that you got when mm-hmm. you had to open the box and then there's Patty Smith oh my God you know she's so cool she's mm-hmm. happening in New York and then to put it on and, and hear the first words. Or two, a couple of little little bass notes, and then Jesus died for somebody's sins, but not mine. Mm-hmm. That kind of discovery mm-hmm. you don't really get with a digital download. You don't. There's a lot missing from the experience with digital. I yeah. mean, I, I have a gripe for it, uh, or a gripe against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I need to write this thing about how it's affecting students um, because I think the digital uh, thing is really <laughs> affecting how students are learning and being influenced by music and there's something the digital thing yeah you're missing an yeah. experience of like liner notes or absolutely artwork. there was you know the, the, the she has a poem on the on the back of, of horses mm-hmm. and she read the poem wow before she started the singing you know mm-hmm. and it's, it's it's like that I mean uh, uh Guys used to make a living writing liner notes. Right. You know? Yeah. They were famous, famous writers, famous for their liner notes, mm-hmm. you know? Do you know that, I don't know if the record label is even around still, but Winter and Winter, it was kind of like a European offbeat jazz label, mm-hmm. and the packaging was so great, mm-hmm. you know? It's like cardboard, yeah. and there's like yeah. this great artwork on the inside Absolutely. that folds out. Yep. It's like, you're not going to get that. Yeah, there's digital artwork, but I'm not going to look at it, you know? like. I, no one's really going to look at it. The only time you look at it is if, is if, if in, like in my case, uh, you needed to, to illustrate the story to put up on online or, uh-huh. or, or, or give to the printer. You know. Yeah. 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 yeah that's that's you're, you're, so you're going to still keep you're going to keep making CDs. Yeah, I'm actually recording my next CD in a couple of weeks. Really? And I'm I was toying with the idea of making it digital only, but after this conference. I'm definitely not doing that. Good. Yeah. Good. It's going to be, Good. I'm going to have yeah. pay the whatever thousand dollars to have you know. CDs made. And hey man, I went to the front door today and, I, and there was, there was, there was a, an envelope mm. and I was open, you know, I thought, okay, it's, it's another pretty girl singing standards, right? <laughs> Cause that's about, that's about 50% of what I get. Mm-hmm. But it was Herlin Riley. Oh wow! Yeah, nice. <laughs> whoa! It's Herlin Riley. <laughs> you know, um, and so it's 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 uh, uh, and the whole. Um, I mean, I guess most most people most people order CDs online. Mm-hmm. The the physical CD. Yeah. Right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. 
I have to be honest, you know, I've never been to Music Millennium. I've been here over three years wow. now, and I've never been to Music Millennium. Oh, geez. That's my fault. But it is your fault, you son of a bitch. <laughs> what the fuck is wrong with you? But there, I remember the day where I never went a week without going to Tower Records. Yeah. Now, I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I yeah. worked at Tower Records. You did. a summer job when I was in college, and I, I'm sure I spent more than I made. Where? Uh, San Jose. Wow. Tower Records yeah. in San Jose. It was the Tower Records that Metallica played in the parking lot. In, <laughs> that was cool. I was in high school. <laughs> they played on a flatbed truck in the parking lot of Tower Records. Did you see it? Yeah, yeah. I, you were there? one of the two times I cut school in high school. Like through the four years, I only cut school twice. That was one of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can just see him now, can't you? <laughs> I wasn't even a big Metallica fan, but I was like, oh, this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> and loud. Yeah, very loud. Very, very, very loud. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, you're right. There's a whole, there's a whole set of experiences that, that a lot of people are missing mm -hmm. by how they, how they, purchase or steal their music steal yeah. yeah steal the emotional investment i think is the biggest thing lacking i yeah. mean i have all these students and they have you know gigabytes of gigabytes of gigabytes of all this great music yeah yeah and they take it for granted they definitely do and they there's yeah. no other choice for them they you know yeah. but when i spent my week's allowance in high school on a wayne shorter record like oh, yeah. i listened to the hell out of that absolutely thing for, i know i was in seventh grade and I was allowed to buy one forty-five every other week. That's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to, I had to really, you know, mm -hmm. know what I wanted. Right. You know? Yeah, forty-five has what? Two songs on it, right? Yeah. A side and a B side. A side and a so B side. So you got two songs for two weeks. That's right. You're gonna, you're gonna listen to that. Yeah. 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 It was, yeah. you know, it was thrilling. Mm -hmm. Got the, got the, got the record in, in, in the little bag and take it home, bring it mm -hmm. out, look at it. Look at the label, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, labels were big. I mean, that was for 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 nerds, right? Really, I mean, there was there's, a, there's definitely a label nerd nerdity out there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, label design, those are you know, classic classic labels that you never mm -hmm. forget. Blue Note, for instance. For, yeah, yeah. And lots of them, lots of them. Mm -hmm. Sun Records, of course. Yeah. The, you know. Anyway, but uh, I don't know if we want to keep talking about this, but uh, <laughs> I have many thoughts on it. Yeah, we kind of sound like fuddy duddies, you know. I mean. Uh, but I don't think our points are invalid, but someone might argue, well, whatever's happening right now isn't great for anyone um, economically, but yeah. are we going to adjust as an industry, specifically jazz? Like, yeah. So are we going to adjust? Where are we going? I don't think anyone really has a clear picture on where this is right. going. It's going right. to take some right. genius yeah. to figure this out. And, um, I, I don't know. We're not going to go back. That no. It's, no. We're, so what are we going to do now? The, right. And I don't think anyone has any answers yet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one thing Doug and I, Douglas Dietrich from the PJCE, have been talking about is like, is music by itself just enough? Is it enough yeah. for the, the current market? Yeah, yeah. Especially live music. Does someone want to go to a place and just sit down and listen to music and that's all they get? Yeah. It, yeah. it used to be, but is it now and is it going to be? I don't know. Who knows? Um, uh, so, who did you see in the in the festival part of your trip? Oh man, that was so great! 
Uh, I saw a lot. I spent a lot of time at the ECM stage. Oh, wow. uh, ECM had their own stage, and it was so cool. Oh, man. Um, I accidentally saw David Torn solo. Um, huh. I went to the wrong place. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what a shame. It's only David <laughs> Torn. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, I wanted, and I ended up going, because they were only a block away, I wanted to go, I meant to go see James Carney's group mm-hmm. with Mark Ferber, because he's a friend, and actually, like everyone that bands one of my friends um but i yeah i walked into the david torn set and uh i was like right next to manfred eicher li- listening to really it. yeah i went in the wrong door but no one told me not to <laughs> so i go in and i'm standing there right next to manfred eicher listening to david torn did you meet him i didn't i didn't want to bug him he I understand he looks like a really serious dude and yeah. no one talked to him the entire time because uh-huh. i ended up standing i kind of found my secret place for yeah. the entire festival and yeah. i was next to him or within arm's length of him the entire festival and he didn't talk to a single person so oh uh Jeez. yeah i didn't want to be that guy <laughs> uh, but I saw hey, hey remember when you remember it's like you do a chris farley thing yeah. you know <laughs> yeah remember remember when you had Everhart Weber? remember when you did that yeah that right. was really good yeah, was, <laughs> i forgot about that sketch i love that sketch oh man um I saw Craig Taborn solo. That yeah. was great. Uh-huh. Uh, everything I saw was yeah. just the highest level. My favorite thing, though, was the Michael Formanek Colossus Ensemble. Uh-huh. And my favorite thing about it was, I mean, one, the music is incredible. I've never heard a big band play anything close to that before. How many pieces do you think he had? I think it was uh, probably 16 to 18. Wow. Um, there was five in the rhythm section. Four or five trumpets? Five trumpets? Yeah, yeah so it was Jeez. big. Yeah. But my favorite thing about it, aside from the music just being amazing, is that like the section leaders in every section are my favorite on that instrument. Ralph Alessi on trumpet, wow. Lawrence Stillman on alto, and Alan Ferber on trombone. Those are like my favorite guys for those horns. And they're yeah. at the. But the rest of the band is killing too. It's like it was silly how at the level they were playing. Uh-huh. <laughs> Did you get to play? I, no, I didn't play. I didn't even bring my guitar to New York. It was really? Weird. Yeah. Wow. It was strange for me. I always had my guitar on my back. I know. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I didn't play this time. Ah. Why not? <laughs> I haven't played in New York in over a year. Um, the garage closed down, and that was kind of yeah. like the last place I was playing at uh-huh. frequently. Um well, I think when I do my CD release, I'm going to try to do it in different regions, yeah. like one here in Portland, yeah. one in yeah. San Jose, where I'm from, mm-hmm. and uh, probably one in New York. And Jim Carney, James Carney, who mm-hmm. I went to go see, he mm-hmm. kind of books um, um, Corzo in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and so I might do a CD release mm-hmm. there, too. But So who's on the album? Wilcox, Tim Wilcox, mm-hmm. Charlie Doggett, Chris Higgins. So really? That's kind of my Portland group. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And all originals. Uh-huh. And where are you in the process? All the tunes are written, and we've played them all before, and we have one more rehearsal before we go into the studio um, a week from Sunday. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah. What process do you use in the studio? I mean, uh, you record separate parts? Do you put, try to play together? or? It'll... It's going to happen in one day. We're going to make an entire record in one day. So we're oh. just going to play the tunes down hopefully no more than twice each um, so yeah. we can keep it fresh um, and that will be that it'll be like kind of like a live recording like kind of like the way they used to do it yeah again, 
Yeah. And I sound old. Yeah. Yeah. Doing things the way they used to do. Well, but I don't know. I think a lot of people do it that way now. Yeah. I mean, there was, you know, the, uh, uh, nobody's using 85 tracks mm-hmm. anymore, hardly, you mm-hmm. know, especially in jazz. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and I, jazz particularly, people would do it that way more mm-hmm. now because, you know, you, you, know, you want to play together, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's part of the aesthetic. It's definitely yeah. part of the economic model for me. You know, yeah. I can't book yeah. the studio for a week and pay those guys for a week's worth of work. And, yeah. Um, I wish I could. Uh, I have, I'm going to have to do something like that with this other project that I've been meaning to get off the ground for years and mm-hmm. uh, just, it's hard to get going, but it's going to be more of a, an undertaking than just a, a hit in the studio. So, uh-huh. um, but that is in the future for sure. Uh-huh. How's this, how's this album going to be different from the last album? Um, I can't say that it will be markedly different. Mm-hmm. It's there, the tunes are not. My first two records, the tunes have more of a, a, an indie rock vibe uh-huh. than my last record. Uh-huh. Um, this will be closer to jazz, like the last record, uh-huh. um, but they're just newer tunes. And um, this, I have never really played with a quartet on a record before really? so so I'm gonna yeah I've always mm-hmm. had like a bunch a couple horns out in front of me mm-hmm. and I'm doing like a guitar thing mm-hmm. and then the last record George Colligan was the main harmonic support and mm-hmm. I was acting more like a horn mm-hmm. so I think now I'm kind of gonna be in between which I've never done on a record before but huh. so maybe that's one area where it's different is like my role will be more, uh, uh, I'll be blending kind of harmonic support with melodic support. So, huh. how do you do that? Uh, by imitating my idols. Um, I'm now that I'm thinking about it, I never really thought about it, but this is kind of coming out of my influence of Kurt Rosenwinkel, Mark Turner Quartet uh-huh. when I was uh-huh. an undergrad. I would do anything I could to go see those guys play, man. Undergrad, I, where? San Diego State. Uh-huh. I would drive two and a half hours up to the Jazz Bakery every single day to watch them play wow. um, when they were there for a week. Every day? Every day after school, I was just like jet up to Culver City. and uh, Wow. Yeah, I spent a lot of money. I shouldn't have done that. But, um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, that Of course, was, in Southern California, distances are, 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 are relative. They're different than, right. than distances here. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and they're fluctuating, yeah. the times and stuff. And um, and I would when I first moved to New York, I would do everything I could to see those guys play in that mm-hmm. context. So, I th- I think that influence will come out a little bit in this. Um, my musical aesthetic has definitely moved on. Is that the right word yeah. from Kurt Rosenwinkel? Developed. Uh, developed. Yes. Beyond. Developed beyond. Um, I still <laughs> adore his playing. Yeah. Um, but it's it's does it's different now. It's different. Yeah, we recorded the jazz conversation he did at mm-hmm. the jazz festival a few years ago. He, he made us. He made us. He's the only person who ever made us make changes. <laughs> no, you can't. You have to take out that stuff I was saying about my father or whatever right. it was. You know, it was weird. You know, but, okay, Kurt, sure. Yeah, whatever you say. Yeah, he can. <laughs> uh, I know Kurt a little bit. He yeah. can 
be yeah. like that. Yeah. Well, well what do you, do you get, can you put your finger? I mean, you know, it, it could be just a you know a, a vibe or a spiritual thing. Mm. But is, is there anything you can you can point to mm. that about him or his playing that really knocked you out? Approach his approach. No. Um, definitely. Well, uh, so one thing that I like overall with his playing, and it continues to this day, even though. Okay, he's well informed by the tradition. He mm -hmm. knows a million tunes. He knows how all the he knows everything about the tradition. But he decided to do his own thing after being informed by the tradition. Mm -hmm. So I wanted that approach, you know, and I still try to stick to that approach. Like when I'm practicing now, I'm mostly just practicing bebop stuff. But really? I, I don't, you know, you probably wouldn't call me a bebop guitar player. Mm -hmm. um, so the the approach. To his musical aesthetic was probably what influenced me most, but his sound too, um, mm -hmm. s not so much the distorted sound. He's mm -hmm. definitely getting more of that nowadays than he was back in the day. But um, the fluidity of his tone, his sound, and I kind of liked that subtle delay that mm -hmm. he had mm -hmm. underneath his sound, which was like in place of reverb almost mm -hmm. in a way. I preferred that, so I definitely stole that from him. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's an interesting question. You know, uh, when is it? When where does where does stealing stop and uh, start and influence stop? You know, mm -hmm. when, how do you how do you you know you know or or when you're just being yourself and and I mean you could find yourself going like oh. Oh, that sounds like Kurt. That sounds like yeah, yeah. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. Is that true? Well, so yeah, I, I'm glad we're talking about Kurt. I've never really gone because into this. you know when Dizzy first I, I, Dizzy's autobiography. He goes mm -hmm. when I was when I was young. What I thought was, if I could just play like Roy Eldridge, mm -hmm. then I could go on from there and do anything I wanted. Mm -hmm. Now nobody in the world it says that Dizzy sounds like Roy Eldridge, right. you know, but. It's got to be there. Mm -hmm. It's in there in the foundation. Yeah. You know? Exactly. Um, I will say that I have not been influenced too much by Kurt's vocabulary, his melodic vocabulary, uh -huh. and that was intentional. I did transcribe. Yeah. I probably learned about five Kurt Rosenwinkel solos, mostly uh -huh. when I was in college. Yeah. But then when I was living in New York and hearing all these great musicians and stuff, I was like, why does everyone play what Kurt's playing? And then, <laughs> like, I had friends that moved to Europe, like, five years after I moved to New York or whatever, and they come back and they're like, dude, every single guitar player in Europe sounds like Kurt Rosenwinkel. And I was <laughs> like, yeah, I can't. I don't want to do that. That sounds horrible. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, as much as, again, as much as I love him. And I think that's right. part of why I kind of drifted away from the Kurt thing. It's yeah. just like, I don't want to be like all these people I'm yeah. not gonna sound yeah. like that um, but yeah I think the way he's influenced me most in his approach to jazz music um, yeah. Yeah. I, I took some lessons with him and they were weird they were uh -huh. I, I got something out of them years later basically mm -hmm. but it, they were strange huh. lessons so when you were in New York mm -hmm. you interviewed Kenny Barron yeah that right yeah and you, you messaged me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I wanted to get your advice. You're a pro. <clears throat> um, how did it go? It went so great. It was actually one of the more fulfilling experiences really? that I've had. Yeah. Because yeah. um, Kenny, Kenny Barron's influence on me goes back to my beginnings as a 
he was there in, as part of the fabric of when I decided this is what I'm doing, playing wow. jazz for the rest of my life. Wow. Now, I mean, musically, I, I think he's one of my favorite piano players when it mm-hmm. comes to straight ahead jazz. Mm-hmm. I can say that without hesitation. But that's not necessarily what I'm talking about. Um, he, there's, there's been a Kenny Barron thing in the fabric of my jazz being um, since the beginning. Um, he, just by happenstance, I guess, after I shortly decided that, or shortly after I decided that I was going to be a jazz musician, one uh, his CD on Crisscross Records, Green Green Chimneys, yeah, mm-hmm. was one of the first records that I checked out because one of my friends who was also like way into jazz uh, had it in his record collection, and I just remember what it looks like and what it sounded like, and it was great. Um, and then he was at the Stanford Jazz Workshop mm-hmm. when I went one of the two times I went uh, he was there with Sphere and I remember all the things that he said and I just remember wow. like it sounded like wisdom from a legend you know wow. and um, and he was also super nice I even remember like the shirt he was wearing it was like this ridiculous salmon colored shirt <laughs> when you did the interview or, or no no oh, back then back yeah. in yeah. Back, yeah. back in yeah. 98, 99, something like that. And um, Well, one of the things he said that really stuck out was like, if you're considering being a jazz musician, and this is back then, and we talked about this in my interview, but Mm -hmm. he says, uh, if you're considering being a jazz musician, um, like a serious jazz musician, you need to live in New York City. Mm -hmm. He said, you don't have to live there your whole life, but you have to be there. And that really rang out with me because I was like, well, that's what I want to do. So Mm -hmm. I guess I move into New York City. And it was just like, (laughs) boom. And that was just one of the few kernels of wisdom that he dropped. But then that story arose in my undergraduate studies at San Diego State with my private teacher because I told my private teacher what Kenny Barron said Mm -hmm. about moving to New York City. And this teacher went into a racist rant. Oh. Yeah. With colorful language that makes me uncomfortable, and uh, so that was like a an interesting experience for me. Kenny Barron at the at the forefront of mm-hmm. this racist interaction with this idiot guitar teacher. Anti-black. Yes. Race? Okay. All yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Uh, so I marched right into the other professor's office. I'm like, yeah, I can't study with this guy. You know, yeah. he's dropping the N word in private lessons. Wow. About this guy that I revere. You know. Yeah. And um, so that was an interesting thing. Oh, did you tell Kenny? Yeah, we talked about it. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Um, and we talked about race in the interview a little bit. It wasn't. That was one of the least interesting parts yeah. of the discussion, yeah. actually. So. Hey, Kenny, remember what you did? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I understand. I understand that. that uh, had you ever talked to him before? Uh, just at the Stanford Jazz yeah. workshop, I just, you know, went up and bugged him a little bit. But, yeah. Yeah. no, I mean, he had no idea. Well, you never sat down with him, really, and, mm. and had a conversation. Oh, I kind of left out uh, that two of my mentors yeah. were also mentored by him at Rutgers University. So, uh, it's like two of the, I was, like, learning from him vicariously through wow. my... Wow. Yeah, wow. so wow. Kenny Barron's always been there. I've never yeah. like sat down and like transcribed his playing or anything like that. Uh-huh. I, just, I love it. But what'd you learn from him this time? Um, just how to like how to live. <laughs> I he was extremely yeah. nice and w- open and yeah. willing to share. And um, yeah, it was just really great. Wow! Did you get to hear him play? No. I kind of 
cocked up this scheme that I was hoping to work. So you might know. Have you ever heard the Alan Lomax interview with Jelly Roll Morton? No, I've never heard that. It's cool. It's on YouTube. Yeah. So people should check it out. But um, So this ethnomusicologist is interviewing Jelly Roll Morton with a bottle of whiskey at the piano, and you can hear Jelly Roll get <laughs> drunker and drunker as it yeah. goes along. Yeah. And he's like kind of playing while he's talking. And yeah. I was hoping that would would be what we do because yeah. we did it yeah. right at Lincoln Center and oh. Lincoln Center there, it was during the middle of the day and no one was around and there was an unlocked oh. piano but he was like no let's just sit at the bar so I was like, <laughs> okay cool um, so no I didn't get to hear him play <laughs> despite my <laughs> too bad I had a probably my greatest musical hero was Alan Toussaint okay and since I was a little since I was a, since, I mean I, since I was a kid yeah he was a little bit older than me so he was on all the stuff I found out later that, that I loved when I was a kid. Everything I loved was from New Orleans. Uh-huh. And when I first moved here, I, uh, uh, I had a radio show. And I got hooked up with an hour interview with Alan Tucson. He was in his studio in New Orleans, and I'm here, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's, he's brilliant and gracious and wonderful and an amazing human being and all the stuff that you talk you know that, that, that everybody said about him when he died including me uh, but so we're talking about Professor Longhair of course and I, I start to go to commercial because it was a commercial station it was a, and, and I start to wrap up the segment and go to commercial and all of a sudden I hear him playing Professor Longhair he was in his studio and he's at his keyboard and he played me out to commercial without any discussion I was like Holy shit! <laughs> Did this just happen to me? Yeah, you know that's awesome. It was yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I was, I was, I felt very, very fortunate to, to get to do an interview with him again this past summer. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah, I missed that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you yeah. are. That's fortunate. Very fortunate. I got to meet him at the blues festival. And, mm. You know, I didn't know I was saying goodbye, but I had that feeling. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he was, he was, even Alan Tucson fans. At that show, were running around with their hair on fire. Wow! Because that's how great it was. Wow! You know, and everybody, everybody was thinking, man, this could be the last time, and it was for me. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, that's that's that was, uh, it. Must have been must have been just wonderful to sit there and talk to him. How, so how long did you get with him? About an hour and a half, man. or more. It, and I oh, you'll be. He prod- wanted to. That was the yeah. cool thing. And yeah, yeah. I didn't record all of it. I thought I recorded about forty minutes of it. I missed the beginning, and then like the coolest part was at the end. Oh. So I don't know how I'm gonna. You'll be processing that for a long time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It yeah. definitely, it definitely just is like a part of me now. Like yeah, it, yeah. it influenced yeah. who I am. Oh, yeah. it, that's oh, that's yeah. why it was so fulfilling. It was like wow, yeah. that just yeah. happened. Wow. Um, huh. And now you get to carry that into the studio. I hope so. It's got to. Yeah. Has to, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 yeah. So you have this. You, 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 um, you're, you're one of the guys who has had to embrace business and music. Yeah, you know. And now, and now you're a journalist. <sighs> yeah, well, let's let's use that term loosely. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, yeah. You got, you got to prove yourself. Yeah. You know, you gotta get out there. You gotta, you gotta, you know, see see how the ball comes out of your hand. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. I'm more just like a guitar player that can write a little bit. That, you know, um, and I, I grade students' papers, so I feel yeah. like I can, you know, change some things here yeah. and there when I have to edit. Uh, you know who's a really good writer? Tim Wilcox. 
I, you know, he, uh, he wrote several pieces for me that were fabulous. Lynn told me the same thing, yeah. and I asked him about it, and he doesn't seem particularly interested right now. No, he doesn't. He hasn't been interested in writing for a long time. <laughs> I tried to get him to write more, too. He, mm-hmm. he, he wrote a couple of pieces around uh, people who were playing at the, at the jazz festival a few years ago, and they were fabulous. Mm-hmm. Jeez. I, I tried. I, I could try again. But <laughs> I love that, dude. But how, how, is, does, mm-hmm. does that... Having to spend all, all that time, does that, how does that affect your music, or does it? Well, right now, I am noticing it affecting my music. Um, I mean, I'm talking about music all day. Sometimes yeah. I'm playing yeah. music, but uh, I'm hardly ever practicing. And mm. um, so I'm, I'm seeing a little bit of it affect me right now. Um, and I have talked about this with other musicians over the years and mm-hmm. stuff, and um, I'm not alone in this struggle. You know, mm-hmm. I talked to George Colligan here in town about yeah. this. Like, it's hard to find time to get better, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when I do practice, I try to focus on musical uh, or practice efficiency. If I only have 20 minutes to practice, let's get better at something in 20 minutes, you know? Huh. Um, what do you think you can get better at? Uh, my time is one thing that really? I'm constantly working on. Yeah, not that I have like bad time or something, but yeah. it can always get better. How do you? Um, how, what do you, how, how do you work on that? John Nastos's Metronomics uh-huh. app is a, an uh, invaluable tool. Uh, um, there's a shameless uh-huh. plug for. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, that's a very programmable metronome, and you can get what you need out of it. It's mm-hmm. a really great tool, so I use that. Um, mm-hmm. The absence of the metronome is actually one way to get better time, right? So if I'm relying less on the metronome mm-hmm. and providing the time myself, then I'm doing a good job. So um, I will... Do you ever check yourself against the metronome? Absolutely, yeah. 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 And that's kind of what you do. Some other ways that I've worked on my time, uh, specifically when I was in New York, I was working on my feel a little bit, not so much mm-hmm. my like providing of the pulse, but how I'm phrasing that statement of time Mm -hmm. and um, I would emulate people using technological tools the best I could so that I could have better control so I liked the way that Jim Hall phrases time Mm -hmm. which is very different than the way Sonny Rollins phrases time or Miles phrase their time right so I would take one of the solos that I had memorized from them and I would record myself playing along with it and then I would take that recording and and match it up to them playing Mm -hmm. and I would see like where I'm not doing what they're doing, and then I would focus in on that one particular area. To mm-hmm. so, if it wasn't for cool edit, I probably wouldn't have uh, gotten better on my rhythmic feel um, as quickly. I, I don't know how they used to do it. You know, this is one of those they probably used to just get yelled at by Dizzy on the bandstand. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't have Dizzy, so um, I used the computer to help me yeah. find a way. Yeah. You know? Yeah. What kind of leader are you? You don't, you don't yell at people from the bandstand, no, do you? I'm a leader by example, uh, or just kind of. I mean, when it comes to leading a band, I lead by getting out of the way. Yeah. I, I hire Wilcox or yeah. George Golligan or yeah, yeah. my old band from New York. I, I'm not going to tell those guys what to do. I give them my music, I, yeah. and I typically write my music with people in mind or a sound in mind. Mm-hmm. And so, if I wrote a tune, hearing Tim Wilcox play it. Like, I don't have to tell him to do anything. It's like, yeah. I already did it, and he's just going to do it. But suppose suppose somebody does something you don't like. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> I'm not good at that. So oh. uh, I'll share this, and I'm not going to 
this doesn't ruffle any feathers, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, I just played with John Clayton, Alan Jones, yeah. and Mike Wofford at uh -huh. the Oregon Coast Jazz Party, and we closed the set with one of my tunes, and it went poorly. Um, I mean, most of the audience probably wouldn't have noticed, but yeah. is that tune, Walther's Pond, mm -hmm. and um, no one really got it, and it's oh. my fault because, one, I just kind of started playing the intro, and I thought I was being clear, um, yeah. but it wasn't clear enough, and... Oh. It took a while for something to even happen remotely close to what was the tune was intended to do. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, they were apologizing to me afterwards like it was their fault. I'm like, it's not your fault. You're John Clayton. You didn't yeah. screw anything up. Yeah, I didn't yeah, yeah. give you enough. Yeah. It's my fault, you know. Yeah. So I have to get better at that. I have gotten somewhat better at it, but, yeah, I don't know if that helps or if that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> answers your question about yeah. what kind of leader I am. Yeah. Imagine if they had umpires. Band. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't think I would get ejected a lot, but I would probably not get a lot of favorable calls. <laughs> kick the chair, just kick the chair. Yeah. Throw the chair, and just get in his face, waggle your finger. Be Earl, be Earl Weaver. <laughs> I, I like the, the jazz baseball metaphors crossing. Yeah. <laughs> um, my wife thinks that Jake Peavy reminds her a lot of me really so, so like that uh, that uh he's very flamboyant's not the right word but you know he's very animated yeah. on the mound talking yeah. to himself yeah. talking to the umpires talking to the other team right. like but not always bad just kind of like <laughs> i was like i don't feel like i talk as much as jake Peavy, but okay you probably know me better than i know me so <laughs> <laughs> do you really i mean you talk to the, the other players to the the audience to the sound guy to uh yeah i I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I know that I don't like to look up. I'm not probably really? the best showman. Huh. Um, I think that I think the baseball hat is like a subconscious, like yeah, part of just like keeping. So what happens if you music. look up and see and see somebody in the audience listening to you? It doesn't bother me, but um, it's distracting. Really? Yeah. That's interesting. I'm trying to think of, there's been a moment where someone came in the room and I'm like, oh my gosh, that person's here. Uh, and it happened not that, <laughs> not that long ago. I'm trying to remember what it was, but yeah, I like to just keep looking at my hands and that's it. <laughs> and I've talked with Vinny Sparaza about this, yeah. a drummer friend of mine. He played with me at the Mono Village Jazz Festival for the last yeah. two years. Yeah. And yeah. he is very, he and Daryl Grant are both yeah. very adamant about like, you need to be looking at each other when you're playing. Yeah. That scares me. I don't want to do that. Really? I, yeah. I don't like to look at you guys. So you, look at, you don't look at the musicians or the audience? No. I just like to look at my hands, which is probably boring. <laughs> but they're looking at you. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> don't look at me. <laughs> They paid to look at you. <laughs> Otherwise, they'd stay home and listen to your record. <laughs> not a good performer <laughs> or showman. I'm not a good showman. Um, yeah, I, I, that's something I need to work on. And I know it. Yeah, it's, I don't know what that is. I don't want to say insecurity because I don't think that's what it is. But uh, it's difficult for me to just like, yeah. I don't know. So Maybe be, because it's vulnerable or something. There'll be another Montevillo this year? Yeah. Mm, we're good. working towards... Good. We have dates in mind. We're not ready to release them yet, but we have dates, yeah. and we are close to a headliner. Really? Yeah. Very good. And that's exciting. Same place? Same venue. Same yeah. venue. Good? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Good. Good. good? Yeah, that was, I think, a step up over the first year. It was. It was. <laughs> well, it was, it was a little, it was, it was air-conditioned. It was air-conditioned, that's what it was. <laughs> that first year. 
the first year was rough. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite moments about the first year was I was emceeing, and, 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 and I wanted to do this because mm. I'm, I'm a huge fan of Rebecca Sanborn. Yeah. Plus, she's a wonderful person. Yeah. Right? And so when I, I don't know if you were. Uh, I you, saw the interview, yeah. No, no, not the interview, oh. but when I introduced them. Okay. I saved Rebecca for last mm. <laughs> because the because the two the, the two guys always get all the all all, right. all the publicity about, about yeah. that band. So I, I just, and, I, and I ended up going. And I, I named them all the other ones, and then and Rebecca Sanborn and the Blue Cranes. Nice. <laughs> they all got it. Uh-huh. And they they were laughing. It was pretty funny. Nice. She was too. <laughs> I saw Reed and Joe both at in New York at the ECM stage. Yeah. Wow. That was cool. Wow. Huh. I know. I, last time I talked to her uh, uh, about their new album, they were not. They never. They don't talk about it. Hmm. They don't talk <laughs> to media about hmm. their new album. Why I don't know. Hmm. I don't the know. one on Cuneiform, the swim. Or no, no, the new one. Oh, okay. You know what they're working on. Oh, the one coming up. Yes. I see. Yes. They don't talk to the media. They don't. About, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder if they'll talk to the Montevilla Jazz Festival about it. We well, I hope so. Yeah. I hope so. Uh, <laughs> um, so uh, that's, uh, that's a – that must take a, a, a chunk out of your time. Yeah, you got too much. You got too much going on, dude. I know, I know. It's kind of, well, and then that one doesn't pay anything. <laughs> you know, like oh, some geez. of the things that I do yeah. pay a little bit. Right. That yeah. pays nothing. Yeah. I mean, that's oh, why man. I booked myself two years in a row, so I make yeah. something out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's joking, but it's like sort of true, too. Well, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But Neil and Fritz, they don't make a dime, you know? Jeez. And we, we all put so much time. And Aaron, the art director, you mm-hmm. know, we meet every other week, mostly three hours wow. or more at a time. Wow. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of work. Mm-hmm. Are you doing anything in the jazz festival? I'm playing trio with Chris Higgins and Michael Rayner, and I guess we're going to play Coltrane tunes. I don't think we're allowed to play anything else, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> um, where are you going to be playing? Alta Bira. It's um, on the east side somewhere, um, and I think it's part of a hotel. I forget which one oh, it is. But, okay. Um, okay. Yeah, it's a brunch set. It's like 1030 to 1 or something. Not bad. Yeah, I like playing with those guys. So good, good. Especially if they feed you. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and just think, by then it'll be spring training. Right. I'm going to spring training. Whoa! Yeah. You son of a bitch! <laughs> Whoa! Um, I booked some gigs in in Arizona just uh, just for that. <laughs> and it's also my wife's birthday. She's a big baseball fan. There too, you so, go. Yeah. Oh man. Hey, you got it going these days. Yeah, <laughs> you do. <laughs> um, well, listen, we'll we'll be looking forward to the new album, and uh, you know, uh, keep at it, man, because you know you 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 make things happen in this town. I try. Yeah, you, know, you do. Well, thanks. You do. I appreciate you know? it. And yeah. you know, people are glad you moved here. Oh, that's nice to hear. Yeah. Probably practice more. Uh, I need to practice more. Practice more. <laughs> yeah, I probably piss some people off. Hey, do you do. make noises when you play? I used to. I don't think I do anymore. Uh, I do, like, if I screw up, I go, ah, or something like that. But, um, no, I don't do, like, a Keith thing or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. 
but I used to because I used to try to like sing what I'm playing, yeah. but not sing, just like kind of yeah. breathe or phrase. Yeah. yeah. You know who was the worst guitarist in, in Portland I ever heard make the worst noises was Dan Fanley. Oh, really? He makes still noise? does horrible noises. <laughs> I, I did. Well, a, he can I, play, I saw so. a TV store on him, and, had, and I had a, a couple of mics, including mm. a, a lot, and, and you could just like I couldn't use that sh- that audio track. <laughs> That's funny. I know. <laughs> well, whatever he's doing is working. So yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's funny how people make those noises. I mean, I, I, I always thought Keith was making that up. He was just doing that for effect. It's, he's he's yeah. a strange person. I, you know, I don't. Very know. strange. Yeah. Very strange. I, I mean, he's a genius, like yeah. the IQ level genius, yeah. kind of like not just you know. Well, he doesn't care about the audience either. No, he's strange. I said I did, an, I did an hour on a radio with him one time, and I said, oh, geez. "I said, uh, wh- wh- what do you think people do when they take your albums home?" Yeah, and he said, "I've never thought about that." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I but he, he he thought about it enough to complain uh-huh. that somebody told him that they like to clean house listening to the Colin concert. Mm-hmm. He didn't like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he didn't. I'm sure he. He ought to be glad they're, they're playing it. They bought it and brought it home for mm. God's sakes. Yeah, so he can have his amazing house in yeah. rural New Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I remember reading something about Gary Peacock. Uh, uh-huh. You know, I'm sure those guys go way back, right? Yeah, I mean, way way, way back. back. And even Gary in this interview, I forget what it was, but it was like, yeah, he's not the kind of guy that you like go outside and like play ball with, you know? Like, <laughs> it's like, yeah. So this guy is saying that. That must mean something. But if you were a ball player, what position would you play? Um, it's changed over the years. I mean, yeah. I sort of still am a ball player. Yeah. Um, I was playing baseball in New York City every year. I lived there, and yeah. I, when I moved to Portland, I stopped. Um, but uh, I got pretty good at second base. But when I was in high school, I was like a shortstop. Really? Third base, too? I think yeah. third base is probably my home. Do you have enough power for third base? No, but I can hit. <laughs> I, I don't have any power, but I can hit. <laughs> I'm on base a lot. <laughs> well, don't forget, June uh-huh. is the debut of the Portland Pickles. I will be there. You know about the Pickles, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's um, Wood Bat League. Yeah, right? Summer yeah. Ball D- kind of I mean, you'll be there. Dusty York will be there. I'll be there. Nice. I'm a... I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a pickle fan. Pickles fan. Gotta yeah. be. They picked a great name. They did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. Thanks a lot. Yeah, thanks, Tom.